So it's really good to be here this morning. I'm really excited. It's been good to, um, for me, for my own soul, to think through joy uh, for this week. And we are in the middle of a series. Actually, uh, we're just about, we're halfway through. This is the, the tipping point uh, called Soul Cry. And we have been exploring the wide range of emotions uh, that we find in the Psalms. And so we need to understand a few things about the Psalms. Uh, They give our soul a language, but they also give our soul an anchor. Um, There is not an emotion that the Psalms do not address. If you name one, I don't think I can do it right now, but I could potentially give you a Psalm where we see that emotion spring out. Uh, The Psalms give us words to the question, how is my soul? Uh, They give us permission to speak to God, uh, not with veiled, pretty language, but with buck-naked honesty. Um, And and so far, this series has probably felt a little more like the mid-to-late-90s emo scene as we've been working through lament and shame. Um, They've been really difficult topics for many of us. And one thing we have to understand about lament and shame is what they do when we experience something like shame or something like grief, they disorient our lives. Our souls feel like they lost. Has anyone ever been lost in the woods before? It's scary. It's like you look this way and you see a tree and you look that way and you see a tree and they both look pretty much the same, but you're not sure which way to go. Um, Never really been lost in the woods, but uh, there's this great story that I read in Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it talks about how farmers in the Midwest, during, uh, before the, the winter would come, they would tie a rope from their house to the barn. And they would make sure that it was anchored really well. And the reason they would do that is during the blizzard season, during the winter, when the blizzards came and whiteout conditions came, You could not see your hand in front of your face. And so they would use that rope to get back and forth from the barn. And there are countless and countless stories of people who their hands slipped off the rope and they literally froze to death within feet of their back door. And so shame and guilt and lament and grief, they can make us feel like we are in a blizzard and everything is going south and we can't see two inches in front of our face. But I'm thankful that the Psalms, they don't leave us in prayers of shame and grief and lament and destruction. They don't leave us disoriented, but the Psalms also reorient us to new life and to joy. And we learn what it means to begin to pray with joy. The Psalms, they help us journey from death to life and from pain to joy. And so this morning, we're going to look at joy. And so I wanted to just take a minute or two and and ask you all, what things come to mind when you think about joy? What events, what is the, what is joy made of for you? What comes to mind? Yeah. Seeing your children walk with the Lord. Yeah, great. I'm one of them. It's pretty cool. (laughs) I'm an answer to prayer. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Knowing there's nothing that happens in our lives the Lord doesn't already know about, that He's there and He's faithful to walk us through each and every step. 
Amen. And that takes a lot of courage to say that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Seeing a wedding. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't get much more. It doesn't get much more joyful than seeing a wedding. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what else? For me, it's fishing with Ken. That brings me tons of joy. Um, what else? On Thursday, I was able to go to a progressive jazz concert in Philly, and it just, that was just, mm. I love jazz. So that was awesome for me. Yeah, awesome. Great. Yeah. Maybe two more. Good conversations with friends. Yeah. Good conversations, yeah. Yeah, maybe one more. Baby smile. Baby smile, yeah, seriously. I was going to, I'm just waiting for this. I'm like, there's so many stinking babies in this church. Someone has to say this. And there's more to come. Um, yeah, all those things. You know, I think even, even um, the video we watched today, right? Baptism, the way that Renew celebrates baptism should completely and radically shape the way that we look at joy. Like, that's what joy looks like. That was close to uh, the Phillies winning the World Series and parading down Broad Street. I mean, that was just unbelievable to see the amount of joy that we witnessed, not just in those being baptized, but those coming out. I mean, how many of you have ever been to a graduation where you don't know the person graduating? Totally late. You're like, this is the boringest thing ever. I cannot believe that I have to sit through this. But when you know the person, you know the work that they put into it, you know what they've done. It's like awesome. You'll wait six hours in a hot gym and watch little Johnny, you know, make it through the graduation line and you'll cheer and go crazy because joy also has a lot to do with our relationships. And so one thing that I want to I want to give us a little bit of a uh, disclaimer. Uh, As we talk about joy, we are not talking about the temperament. Uh, We know these people. They have Pharrell's happy on repeat all the time in their car. Uh, Some of you like me may want to slap them. Uh, we know the joyful people that wake up in the morning singing and smiling and they haven't even had a cup of coffee, right? Like those are like people with, they just have a joyful temperament. Uh, some people just naturally smile more and that's a good thing. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're experiencing joy more than those of us who may be naturally grumpy, uh, like myself. Uh, joy is not just a temperament, but it's something much deeper. And joy isn't faking it, right? How many of you have ever been around those fake joy people? Yeah, like, it's just awkward, right? It's like, dude, your house just burnt down. Yeah, but God is so good. It's like, but your house burnt down. Like, everything inside. Like, your, your sweater's smoldering as we're talking. I mean, come on. And so we don't have to always smile to be joyful. joyful joy is not a robotic response It's not this thing that's saying, no matter what, I'm just going to be happy. And the Psalms, as they teach us about the wide range of emotions, um, we have to understand that in and through them, in all these emotions, that we can express all of them to God. God doesn't just want our joyful hearts, right? Uh, There's this great thing. uh, If you read Psalm 8, I think it's 8, and then if you read Psalm 51... In Psalm 8, David is saying how he's righteous and awesome and like, God, you answer me because I am the man. That's why you answer me. Because I'm righteous, I'm good, I've never done anything wrong, and you just love me. So everything I ask, you give to me. And then we get to Psalm 51, where David just got caught 
having adultery, killing his best friend, and now his child with the adulterous woman is going is di- has de- has died. And we see this radical shift. David, I'm the man to this other part, and David goes like this. He says, "Lord, like." I've sacrificed, I've lived righteous, I've done all these things, but you don't even want any of that anymore. You actually just want my broken, crappy heart. You just want me to give that to you, and that's all I have to offer. So we see this radical shift, but we see joy in that moment. In the pain, we begin to see joy. And, and that's what we see in the Psalms. And some of the ways that we notice joy within the Psalms... We see joy in, uh, as, in Psalms as our response to being restored. Um, the, Lord, you know, the Lord has restored the joy of my youth. He has saved me. There's this sense when, when restoration happens, the natural response is joy. We see it when God answers our prayers. We see it when God rescues Israel and when He rescues us. When we're reminded of who God is and His faithfulness. When we think about the ways that God has acted in the past, when we think about His creative power, and when we think about what our future will look like, all those things, our response is joy. Now we have to make a distinction. I'm glad my father brought it up, but joy is different than happiness. Uh, We have a tendency to confuse the two in our culture. Our culture values happiness, not joy. In fact, it's even in our Declaration of Independence. We should pursue it, apparently. Um, in all of the advances of technology and education and medical and, psycho- and psychology and scientific studies, though all of them have really big words for what they're studying and what they're looking at and what they're trying to fix, they're all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about happiness. They're all talking about Joy. The big problem is people aren't happy, so we have to figure out how do we make them happy. And so we work through all these different things and we come up with all these great ideas. But the truth is, is, and this is the problem, is people ain't happy. People don't sense joy. Tim Keller has a great quote. He says, human happiness is not addressed by technology or medical advances or urban planning or higher education. What makes you happy or unhappy is primarily cosmic and spiritual in its nature. And that has remained unchanged for millennia. And so this becomes painfully clear when you are with a group of 15 to 20 teenagers standing inside of a church that has no windows in one of the poorest parts of Jamaica And you walk into this place and you begin to watch people respond to God. And they start dancing and moving. And the the 20 people make more racket and more sound coming out of their, their, their lips and their voices and their lungs than I've heard in churches with thousands of people. And so those of us that have been in different parts of the world, we've experienced joy, right? Whenever you ask a student or an adult, what's the one thing that you took away from being in this very poor part or this very poor country? Nine times out of ten, I would bet my house on it, they have nothing but they're so happy, right? And that's one of the things that we see and it's, it kind of, in our culture, we, we scratch our head, we say, what, why is that? What's, what's actually happening? And the truth is, is that they have joy because they have under, not because they have stuff, because we have a lot of stuff and we've learned that our stuff doesn't actually bring us joy. 
But what we understand is that their joy is not is not contingent to their circumstances. And we begin to understand as we watch like alien, as we watch these people who seem like aliens from another planet that there must be something more to life than just stuff. That the fleeting happiness that I got when I picked up my iPhone 5, which was very quickly outdone by my 5S, which soon will be outdone by my iPhone 6, was so temporary and actually didn't really create joy at all, but more created in me the sense of I just want more and more and more and more and more. And so most of our brothers and sisters who live in these places, they have had much, much harder lives than we have. They have experienced lament like no other. But when we watch the way that they respond to God, wow, it's unbelievable. It, 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 it disorients and reorients and recalibrates our hearts all at the same time. So we know that joy isn't found in our new gadget or our new car or toy or home. It isn't found in just marriage or just singleness alone. Whenever we have a statement in our life when we say this, I will only be happy when I get blank, we know that we're in for trouble if that blank is not filled with Jesus. And so the Psalms, they thrust us into some of our most lofty experiences of joy. And we learn as we read the Psalms that joy is our response to God. And we are called in the Scriptures to shout for joy to make a joyful noise. We are called to sing for joy. And so the question that I want us to sit with this morning is, am I joyful? And the second question is this, and it's kind of connected, is where does my joy come from? So I'm going to have Ken come up, and he's going to read Psalm 1. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 1 and listen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shafts there, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. Thanks, Ken. And so Psalm 1 could be retitled Joy and Its Source. One thing, a couple of things that are important for us to understand about the first psalm is that it is considered by scholars um, to be the prelude of the psalms. Uh, it is this, it's a psalm of meditation that urges us to live in a lifestyle that is that is committed on divine instruction that is committed to meditate on divine instruction or law or torah or the words of god and we'll unpack some of those things in a moment 
Um, it's kind of like the trailer to the book of Psalms. Um, so that gets like uh, whenever Harry Potter would come out, I would get so pumped to see the trailers. Uh, and it just sort of whets your appetite. Um, we have to understand that there are two things that are very prominent as we look at Psalm 1. And the first thing is this. Uh, there is an action. And we're going to get to that. And the second thing is that there is an image. And so the action is Torah or law meditation. And so Psalm 1 says, happy or blessed is the man. Now we have to understand that when we hear the word happy, a lot of times we think of like feelings, like I'm smiling, like everything's good. Uh, but in reality, it's a much better translation to say, to translate as joyful or maybe even deeply joyful uh, is the man or woman who meditates on God, his character and his words. And so one of the things we have to understand, the, the, one of the phrases that it uses that Ken read is it says the law of God, who meditates on the law of God. Now, the law is, is actually a word that, that, is, that, is, that is pronounced Torah within the scriptures. And so for any of you Bible scholars out there, when you think of Torah, you think of like the first, uh, you think of like the law, like uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like you don't need a sleeping pill, you need to read those. Like that will knock you out pretty quickly because it's there's just a lot of repetition there's a lot of stuff in there that may seem really like dry like okay like here's what i do with mold got it um there's a lot of different things so a lot of times when we hear the word law we have a tendency to think of just a set of rules that god gave israel and they're kind of old and weird but in reality um torah is much deeper than that the the, the noun torah comes from the verb yara and yara means to throw something so that it hits its mark. And so it's almost like an image like a javelin, like a dude getting ready to toss a javelin and to hit his mark. And so the word that it, the, the word or the, the mark that, that a yara hits is its Torah. So Torah is like what we're aiming for. And so the, the word of God is, is like a javelin. It's like these things that they don't have no aim or no direction, but there's, there's a specific place that it's looking to land, and that place is your heart. Torah is not just the laws of God, but it's the whole story of Scripture. Um, it, and, and one of the things, this is really, really stripped down to very, very simplistic stuff, but when you look at the entirety of Scripture... We see this theme that continues to play over and over and over. It's like when you listen to a symphony and you hear kind of the repeated stuff that happens throughout the song. Like the composer does that on purpose. He's reminding you of things. Like the, the movement of things are always moving back to the, the overarching picture of what the story is about. But in scripture, that story, the overarching story is this. Creation, fall or sin and new creation. And so the law of the Lord is not referring to the part of the Bible about the rules. It's the entire story of God as the rule of life. And Torah does not refer to a reference book. Uh, we don't pull it off the library shelf, dust it off and say, I'm looking for information uh, on, on God and who he is. These words are not dead, lifeless words, but they are God's creating, saving, reorienting words. Every single one located within the scriptures, they hit us in our real lives today because God speaks to us in the here and in the now. And Torah, if Torah is God's speech to us, and it is God's speech to us, when we realize that, and when we realize that Torah is God's speech 
to me, to my life, to this church, then our response is joy. We don't study these words as we would study for an exam. We take these words in uh, and and we allow them to shape new life in us. They create new hearts. Uh, They give us hope. They save us and they call us out of our sin into the presence of a merciful God. Our joy grows into meditation. And we realize that we can't live without these creating, saving, reorienting words. Uh, it's like when you fall, when you fall in love. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, Mayor would send me letters and notes. And I would pour over those things. I would read them like a hundred times. Because when, when our lives are being reoriented around some kind of love... We have a hard time believing it, so we just continue to pour over. We keep looking at them. And that is where intimacy grows, and that is where trust grows, and that is what meditation looks like. The word for meditate, the Hebrew word, uh, is the word hagah. Um, And it has a picture of of a bodily whole self-action. In Haggah, it involves mumbling and murmuring words, constantly repeating and thinking about them, feasting on them. Praying with sounds and letting our lips and our breath and our vocal cords form words and just having delight and saying them over and over. Kind of like when you were a small child and you'd pick flowers off of the daisy. She loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He lo-. Like you just get delight in that. Isaiah uses the same word, Hagah, for the sound that a lion makes over its prey. And a lion over its prey, and what Isaiah is doing is saying that a lion over its prey and a person over the Torah need to act similarly. They need to act in conjunction. It's the same thing. And Psalm 1 says that if we want to be joyful, it's only found as we meditate over the words. And meditation leads us to obedience, which leads us to intimacy with God. And we move from knowing about God to knowing Him. And the action that I talked about is meditation, but the image is a tree planted by streams of water. And so joy is possible, and it's only possible when we have securely rooted our lives in God. Um, I I planted a garden this year, and it's pretty dismal. Uh, The only thing that seems to be growing and has actually grown is my my or my watermelons. My my tomatoes look sad. Like I planted, I cheated. We, we tried to do the whole like start them as little seeds. They grown about this high and then they stayed about that high. I don't know what I did wrong. I just don't have the right thumb for it, I guess. Um, but the thing that, that, that amazes me is these tomato plants I bought about this big. And that's as big as they've, as they've grown. And, it's, and like they're actually growing tomatoes, which is hilarious. But they're so small and they're so green. And I don't think if, if, if one even grows, the whole plant's just going to collapse. And so it's interesting to me because a lot of this image about planting and being rooted by, you know, being planted by streams, like trees don't plant themselves. I mean, yes, we can make the argument, well, you know, when, when, when the leaves fall and when those little twirly things get in my gutter and trees grow out of my spouts. But realistically, as the psalmist is writing this, a lot of scholars believe that he's writing this psalm in exile in Babylon. And so what that means for Israel is that they have no home, they have no place, they have no space. And so that means like, we don't even know how to pray. Our prayer has been taken from us because it was all attached to our, our home. 
And so what is happening as, as, as the readers of Psalms are reading this is they're beginning to sense and they're beginning to believe that God is everywhere and I just need to be planted by him. So the, so the people of Israel begin to pray because they realize that God is everywhere and he is at work within their lives. And so what I learned about gardening and God is that I need to plant my tomatoes in more sunlight. Uh, they have way too much shade. And if you want to talk to me more, if you have pointers, please come see me later because uh, I really need some help with that. One of the other things that we learn from the image of tree, of the tree planted by streams of water, is that joy comes when we live in God's presence. That there is no better place in life than being in God's presence. But we have to understand that it, that is not something that happens by accident. We have to aim for it. It's a choice that we make. Uh, one of the things that we have to be reminded of is that joy is a choice. And that choice that we make is are we going to be obedient to what God calls us to or not? Real joy is, a, is, a, is fundamental. It's not superstitious. It's not superficial. Uh, it's about our roots and where they draw their strength. One thing that we have to see about a tree is that a tree is subject to all seasons. It feels them. Um, trees are not always green and bearing fruit and beautiful, but sometimes they look dead and brown. They go through really hard winters. They go through times when, when the wind is blowing and hurricanes are moving through and everything, there's like almost nothing keeping that sucker from snapping over. But when a, when, when a tree is near a good water source, the tree is able to move through each season. And some of the mistakes that we make when we look for joy is we think that it's found in, the, in externals and in situations. But real joy is found inside of us and beneath us. It's found in our roots. Real joy is not what happens to you, but it's, it's in what and who you are. We don't experience joy without pain. Um, it's almost like the image of, of a mother giving birth to a child. It's painful, 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 but what keeps them going through the pain is that in just a few moments, they'll be able to see this beautiful new creation. Joy is always found in our, in, is always found in response to who God is and what He has done. And as we reflect on Psalm 1-6, we see that the joyful man and woman is one who seeks righteousness, right living, living by God's way. So it begins, a man is blessed who's decided to meditate on God's word and it ends with that man is righteous because he has rooted his life deeply into the person and the words of God. And so for us, the ultimate source of our joy is found in Jesus. And the truth is that we on our own are separated from God. But God in his love and mercy, while we were still evil, wicked, sinning people, sent his son Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins. He, Jesus died with us. He identified with humanity. He knows what we've been through. He understands what it was like to be hungry, to be tired, to experience grief. Um, he died instead of us because we are the ones that deserve the death. But Jesus took our place. And he died for us so that we could be included in God's kingdom and his rule and his reign. And when we root our lives in that truth that Jesus is king, 
that He is Lord and we believe that Jesus has done this thing for us, that He's died for us, that we can't even make this, that we cannot make this happen on our own. God transplants our roots by the rich waters that will never dry up and our joy becomes unending regardless of our circumstances. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive again together with Christ. And my friends, it is by grace that we have been saved. And that's what causes joy. And that's when our lives are rooted in that truth. When our identity is rooted that we are beloved children of God, joy just becomes a natural source and a natural thing that we see within us. And so let me be clear, turning your life to Christ and being people who meditate on who God is and what he's done, that does not mean that we will never experience pain again. Um, we, we will experience both pain and joy in life, both sorrow and, and excitement. All of these, the whole, entire range of emotions of life will happen. Life will still be difficult. We are still going to face trials of many kinds. In fact, when we're, but when we're planted and rooted in Jesus, we can experience joy. As it says in James, in James 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we root our lives in God by being in an intimate relationship with Jesus, our circumstances no longer will have the power in our li- will have all of the power within our lives. And so when we think about the things that Jesus has done for us, it's okay to get rowdy. It's okay to get excited. It's okay to begin to move our hips and to clap our hands and to get pumped. Um, and again, we experience this at baptism and we see this. And, and one of the things that I just want to hit on is I love uh, one of the things that we do at baptism is, is we ask the, those being baptized. Part of their story is how can we as Renew help you grow? One of my favorite things that will be remembered in my life for a long time is Carter Briggs. At the end of his thing, he said, you know, Renew, you can help me grow by worshiping God loudly. And I love that statement. And in a, in a seven-year-old's mind, what he is asking of us is, stop worshiping God like this. But if you really think that this stuff has changed your life and it's given you joy, then act like it. Let your voice begin to make words that are louder than what you think you can sing. Stop worrying about the pretty and worry about who God is and respond to the good things that he's done in us. And I love that that doesn't just mean church on Sunday. It doesn't just mean singing with the band. But it means in all of our life that we look for the places where God is mischievously at work. And we say, I see you. And we get excited and we experience joy.
And so this morning, we are going to respond to Jesus. And not here, not right now, but after intermission. And we're going to have an opportunity to practice joy. And Dennis asked me a great question uh, as, we, as I was prepping for this. He said, do people shout because they want joy? Or do they shout because they have joy? Do people sing because they have joy? Or do they sing because they're hoping to find joy? And so I want to challenge us this morning that as we come back, that we respond to God in joy. And I want us, and I want to challenge you in this one thing. If your joy comes from anything or anyone besides Jesus, you're going to be disappointed over and over again. If Jesus is not the source of your joy, I want to challenge you to find someone within this room and just say, hey, he's not the source. Call me, email me, or JR. Please make a phone call or a text or an email to say, hey, I need to talk about this because I'm finding that there are so many other things that are at the root of my life that are causing joy and it's not Jesus. And I need to repent and I need to turn. And the thing that I love uh, is this beautiful story in, in Nehemiah and the law is read to all of Israel and Israel is weeping and crying and Nehemiah tells uh, the Levites, the priests, he says, you need to go to all the people and say, stop crying and start rejoicing because God has forgiven you and he loves you and he has called you back to himself. Because the beautiful thing is, is that we experience joy when we realize that we have been forgiven. And we see joy when forgiveness is poured out onto us and we're able to receive forgiveness and then turn and give forgiveness.